Okay, open your Bible, Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. I want to share some things that will just to stir. Last week I stirred people's thinking up a little. I want to stir it up again. I want to speak on missions again, discerning the season. Discerning the season. Let's start where we were last week, Matthew chapter 16. And uh, people, of course, have got all sorts of ideas about who Jesus is. And Jesus said, uh, well, who do you say I am? And uh, Simon Peter answered and he said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said, you are blessed, Simon Barjonah, because flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my father who is in heaven. In other words, he's saying, you know who I am, not because you figured it out, but because my father touched you by his spirit and made it known to you. Revelation is how we are to live our life out with God, listening, hearing from him in our spirit and through his word. And he says, now you are Peter, upon this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto you keys of the kingdom of heaven, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. I want to just uh, pick up where we were last week, just particularly for the benefit of those who weren't there. Jesus asked Peter, who do you say I am? And, and, Jesus, and, and Peter answered, and he said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. In other words, he had a revelation in his heart of just who Jesus is. Jesus is not just a good man. He's not just some prophet. He's not just some uh, good spiritual leader like every other one that you see around in the world. No, more than that, he is the son of the living God. His name, Jesus, means Savior, the one sent to save. For he will save his people from their sins. The name Christ means anointed, or he's the one God empowered to do this work that needed to be done. So when we look at that verse, we realize this about you. We realize several things. Number one, there is a crisis in the world. There has been ever since the fall of Adam. That crisis is called sin. And it shows itself everywhere. Wars, poverty, diseases, marriage breakdowns, teens going through problems, alcohol, drugs. All of these are manifestations of a fundamental problem in the world. And this problem cannot be solved by the government. It can't be solved by trying hard. It can't be solved by putting more money in. It needs to be solved spiritually by the life of God coming in to save people. Today, we were singing, He rescued me. Well, if you needed to be rescued, it's because you needed to be saved out of a situation you couldn't save yourself out of. And so God, looking at the world, knowing the world could not save itself, intervened. And God's intervention is like this. He doesn't send a book. He doesn't send a program. He sends a person. He sends himself. God, Jesus Christ was God in the flesh. God came and he became present in the earth, demonstrating what God is like. God is a loving God. God is a healing God. God is a delivering God. God is a merciful God. God is a caring God. Jesus manifested what God is like. The world showed its sinfulness by crucifying him. But nevertheless, God showed what he was like. Jesus rose from the dead, and now it's possible for every person to be saved. Now, Jesus said this. He said when he was dying on the cross, his last words, he's finished. My work's finished. And the Bible says, he said, I will build my church. His work in the earth hasn't finished. His part of it has. It's now our turn. 
So when Jesus said, I will build my church, he didn't have in mind a big building with a steeple, with windows, glass windows. No, he had in mind a people, a powerful people, who would go into the earth on a mission, who would represent him. Listen, the church is not to hide out from the world. The church is called to engage the world. The church is not called to be shoved in a little box, sing a few songs, carry on and do some religious things. The church is a missionary body. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell. There's nothing the devil can send against you that can stop you. There's no strategy he has against you can stop you. You can let yourself be stopped. But Jesus said, all authority and power is given to me. I'm sending you and I'm anointing you and giving you power to make a difference. The church of Jesus Christ in every generation is called to make a difference. And when you and I look at the crisis around us and we withdraw and focus on our own personal crisis, we are missing the point. You see, the mission of God to rescue people out of crisis in marriage, crisis in their personal life, crises in every area of life is in the church and in the world. There are some of you today in crisis that need the power of the living God to come through someone to touch you. And just the same in the community, there's multitudes of people desperately in need of the power and the presence of God. Our mission is to bring God to people and to bring people to God. The wonderful thing. So we're not caused to run away from everything or anything. I hate it when I hear Christians complaining how bad it is in the world. What on earth did you expect? Oh, you'll see the news, what's happening. Look how bad it all is. Yes. Hello. You're in a war zone. Jesus said it's going to get worse before he comes. And when it gets worse, he said, your light will shine the brightest. See, we're we're called to become something. We're called to make a difference, not to be on the defensive. You don't have to be on the defensive. You got the goods. Say, you have the life of God in you. You have the word of God to give you the principles, how to succeed and how to conquer in every area of life. But you need to know it and believe it. You need a revelation of it. God once sent Jesus into the earth. You know who he sends now? He sends you. We are seen individually and corporately to make a difference. And we're going to learn how to bring the life of God to people. How to bring the presence of God into our workplace, into our community. There are things you can do that do that. But the first is you've got to maintain a vital connection with the living God. And embrace that you are not here just by chance. God has an assignment for you, a mission for you, something for you to do. I want to share with you in this whole theme of missions, I want to share with you about discerning the seasons. Discerning the season, how, what discerning the season is and how important it is to discern when the season changes, how we have to change with it. We, are, we like to be comfortable, actually. We don't like to have a change of season. We like to have things all like they used to be. And that's natural to be like that, but we're not made to be that way. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 1, while you're looking for that, Jesus said, I'll build my church. I want you to think about these things then and relate to the church. The church is Jesus. It belongs to him, not me. See, so when we go to Uganda, we don't put our name on it. It's his name on it. 
He's building it to fulfill his purpose. See, you think, well, I come here and it's just about God meeting my needs. Wrong. It's not about you. It's about God. See, the problem is the church in the West has become like a nanny thing, you know. It's mothery, mothery, nurturery, and it's forgotten. Actually, it's all about God and his purpose. He's got a purpose. His purpose, yes, sure it is to nurture you and pick you up. See, grow up and do something. Did anyone get changed because you were a believer? Come on, you've got to get the point. Jesus said, I'll build my church. He's built my church. And not only that, uh, he, he's, he's got a church he's building to fulfill a purpose. There's a purpose he's got in mind. It unfolds. And we'll see in a moment. Okay, God works in season. Ecclesiastes 3, 1. To everything there's a season. Everything. Say everything. Everything is seasonal. Now, when you go to Asia, of course, you don't see any seasons, so they create their own. But uh, here, I love it in Hawke's Bay. We've got some beautiful seasons. Don't you love the season? There's natural seasons. Uh, uh, natural seasons, for example, you know, the spring and the uh, summer and then the autumn and the winter. Beautiful seasons. I love all the bay seasons. They're just wonderful seasons. But there's seasons in your life. Infancy, toddler, young child, teenager, young adult, young married, young family, teen family, kids left home people, getting older people, yeah, granddad people. There's a season in life. The thing is about seasons is this. They all have a purpose. And you've got to figure out the purpose and do what needs to be done in the season. And if you miss the season, you find yourself fighting against the natural order in life. Think about that. If you miss the season. So most teenagers all want to leave school and go out and get a job, get some money. Actually, the season they're in is a season to learn and to grow and to develop maturity. So when they go out into the world, they can actually make a successful contribution. So they want to get educated. You want to learn some stuff. Find your skills and develop them, whatever they are. Sometimes that means going to university, sometimes it doesn't. Whatever it is, you're going to do that. Okay, so there's natural seasons, there's spiritual seasons. Spiritual seasons are seasons when God is doing stuff. How do you know God works in seasons too? Now the trouble is, of course, we, we, can, we can choose how we respond to the season. If the church is unaware of the season, it'll become in conflict with God. Oh, isn't that wonderful? Don't you love that? We come here and we say, this is Jesus' church. Oh, yes. And let's love on Jesus. Oh, yes. And then the rest of the time, we totally are in conflict with him because we won't do what he wants us to do. How about that? You can be in conflict with God, serious conflict with God. You think, oh, no, I wouldn't be in conflict with God. That doesn't apply to me. Oh, no, it doesn't apply to Bay City. We're a good church. No, no, listen. It applies to every one of us, including me. Every one of us can find ourselves in conflict with God when we don't discern what he's doing and work with it. See, discerning the season. Eh? So what happens is we try to prepare, we try to preserve what we're used to. See, one of the complaints people make, I've heard this over and over and over, it used to get me down, it used to get me depressed. Well, everything's always changing. Everything's always changing. As though there was a bad thing. And in the end, I started to feel guilty. Everything was all changing. I think, God, I can't keep one thing going. I've got another thing coming. And I began to realize, that's what God does. He changes he continually, continually, continually moves us so we're doing different things. I'm glad we're doing different things now than we were doing a few years ago. I'm glad we're doing what we're doing in Uganda right now because that's different to what we were doing years ago. It's better than what we were doing now a few years ago. It's better, better, better. God moves us forward. Now, we don't want change. We want it to become... We, you know what we want to do? We want to shelter ourselves from the cost it will require us personally to change and cooperate with God. So we don't want any crisis... 
on any change that might threaten our position or our security. When we do that, we effectually cease to become any use to God. Think about that. You want to be useful in the purpose of God, you've got to recognize the change in seasons. Changing seasons. Of course, the church has got a terrible history of not recognizing when God is doing things. And uh, it's a shocking history. I want to give you, I'm going to give you some examples of it. And I want you to see this. If you don't recognize what's God doing, inevitably, you'll be the one fighting him. You can't win. You can't win with God. So maybe in your personal life, you're in a season and you're struggling with it. You know something? Being a grandparent's a season in your life. I struggled a bit because I wasn't ready for it. And then I say, you just embrace it. It's happened. I say, I'm too young to be a grandparent. I don't want to be a grandparent. Too late, it's come. Just embrace it or fight it, you know, whichever way. But you can't fight something that's already happened. You just stay in denial and be useless. So he said, you know, there are all these seasons in life, see? When you've got children, that's a different season in your life. When you're young, oh, got the money, got the energy, got everything. Then you get a few responsibilities, everything changes. Isn't that right? You get a, get a house, a mortgage, and cut children. Man, everything changes. See? And then you've got teenagers. Boy, life changes again, doesn't it? So we, we can't, ch- can't stop the changes. We've got to learn what to do. Now, let me give you some classic examples. I want to share with you a couple of classic examples. I'll give you a few Bible examples. And, uh, then, and I also want to give you something that's absolutely co- so classic, you're just going you're gonna, to you're gonna laugh at the horror of it. Because we all love Jesus to move, isn't that right? Trouble is, when he moves and does something fresh... We don't think it ought to be done that way. We've got a better idea. We want to do it the way we used to. So anyway, in the, how many remember the hippie movement? Must be around one or two to know the hippie movement. Yeah, the 60s. Oh, that was our day, the 60s. Oh, yes. Had these, you know, wide things and floral shirts and stuff and long hair and headbands. And I had all of that. And uh, that was a happy movement. That was great. It was a great movement. Now, in that season, God was doing something. And so the world saw in the West a huge rebellion against authoritarianism, materialism. So there's a whole culture just went out there, smoked dope, free love, out there, where it all kind of, it just was a, a resistance to every kind of thing. They just wanted against the system. And so all the older generation, oh, ta 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 ta. And what the world's doing, you know, and, and God looked at it and he said, I want to find some people who do something because these kids, they've got a, a desire for freedom in their heart. They've got a desire to break out of these constraints. I'll do something. I'll raise up some people to reach them. So he raised some people and there was a move of the Holy Ghost and it didn't touch the whole world, touched the whole hippie movement. You know what a lot of churches did? They put a sign up, no hippies allowed in here. Why? Because they've got long hair, they've got sort of, you know, no bras, and, and they've got sort of weird sort of, hey, cool, man, you know, all this sort of stuff. So, the, so there was a, even, now you think, oh, well, that's, that was America. No, they did it in New Zealand. New Zealand has one of the world distinctives in church history where the people voted God out. How about that? We had a great move of God. I know the man personally who was responsible for this move. He came into an Assembly of God church in Christchurch. He was appointed as the pastor. He started to reach and preach and reach out to the hippies because he sensed the move of God and what God was doing. And he had a move. They came from all over the country and got saved. Phil Pringle got saved into that man's ministry. He was a hippie in those days. And his wife, Christine. And they got saved at that time. You see, God was moving and people didn't know it. And so the church filled. There were about 40 people in the church. The church filled from 40, came over 1,200, which was huge in those days. 
Except it wasn't a church full of nice, respectable people like Bill. It was full of hippies. They didn't know how to look after themselves. They had bare feet. Yeah, man. Coming to church, got a parrot on the shoulder, you know. Parrot poops on the ground. They used a communion cup to scoop it up, you know. The local people all incensed. See? Phil came. He says, oh, there's good vibes in here. Speaking of the Holy Ghost. You know what the older people did? We don't like all these people. They're making the church messy. So when the time came for the pastors in that particular system, the pastors had to be reappointed by vote. So those who were members, of course the hippies wouldn't be members of anything. You know, it would be membership of anything. Well, we're here, man. We feel good, you know. <laughs> That's God. God, yeah. You know, they're not members of anything. So they didn't get a chance to vote. So the good people voted the pastor out. And God left with them. And the move of God stopped. Because people didn't discern what God was doing. Man, if you don't discern what God's doing, you'll fight against them. And all the time, you'll think you're doing the right thing. Oh, well, so that's just New Zealand. Man, I mean, we had the move of God here. People fought against us. When the Spirit of God came, we had the revival that came into Toronto about a year after it came here. People got angry, upset. Some left the church. Why? Well, God doesn't cause people to laugh. Hello? What God are we serving here, you know? Okay, so this one. Let me just, I want to, I'm not going to look them all up, but I want to give you a few examples in the Bible of people who absolutely and disastrously did not recognize that God was doing something different. Now, we're going to a point here somewhere, because <laughs> we're going somewhere with this, okay? We're going to go somewhere, because in the end, it won't be the people in the Bible, it'll be us. Is that right? Okay, let's move on. Okay, here it is. So let me just give you a few examples. Uh, number one's one, 2 Samuel 15, verses 10 to 11. And uh, these are uh, Absalom, a, man, a young man by the name of Absalom, a rising young man. And uh, he was looking and he said, oh, my dad's pastor. He said, I'll pick up things and make things happen around here. The Bible says 200 people followed him. They didn't have a clue really what they got involved in. They followed him. All of them subsequently died. They were fighting against what God was about to establish in their nation. Because they followed under, they just followed human charisma. They didn't follow what God was doing. The result was all of them perished. They got involved fighting against the very thing God was trying to establish in the nation. Here's another example. Another example is found among Saul's followers in 2 Samuel 3.1. The Bible says there was a war between the house of Saul and the house of David. Now what the reason was, was this. Saul had been anointed by God as king and had failed. God says, I'm finished with him. I'm raising up another one. And the good people of God fought against the one God was raising up. But it says the house of David grew stronger and stronger and the house of Saul grew weaker and weaker. In other words, people just failed to recognize it was a changing season and failed to advance with the season. Well, think about it. Just think about it. And so they perished. People died because they didn't recognize what God was doing. It's quite a serious thing. Here's another example, and it's found in Jerusalem, Luke 19, verse 41. And it says, Jesus beheld the city, and he wept over it. And why did he weep over Jerusalem? Jesus stood, and he wept over Jerusalem. This is why he wept over it. He said, you didn't realize the time of your visitation. These are the very people that had the Bible. They knew there was going to be a Savior. They'd prayed for a Savior, believed for a Savior, talked about a Savior. Come when he came, they killed him. Talk about not, reaching, not, not, not hitting the season right. That's the worst you could ever get. See, because he came in a way they never expected. God will come in ways you never expected. God can speak to you through people you never expect. 
You despise the person, God used them. Isn't it funny? You know, there's a funny thing about God. He will deliberately do things that have a little bit of offense in them to see how keen you really are to see him. So he'll send someone, and they're wonderful people. They're a bit crazy or a bit nutty or they're a bit sort of strange in some ways, and they've got exactly a word of God for you, but you look at them and despise them and just reject God's word to you. When Jesus came, of course, everyone's expecting a king. They didn't expect someone to come be born in a stable. It's like we all got our own ideas, our opinions. And our opinions will stop us discerning the seasons of God. We've got to learn to submit to what God's saying to us. So open our heart and be willing to receive it and open to new things. Now, so, so Jerusalem, guess what happened to Jerusalem? Because Jerusalem for, missed out. You know what happened to them? The whole city was destroyed. He said what will happen in the future, and AD 70 it happened, the city was surrounded, it was torn apart and everyone dispersed. Lots of people died unnecessarily. They missed their season. I hate the thought of that. Okay, here's another one. Here's another one. New Testament church. Oh, well, here we're on to it now. The New Testament church. Well, they must have been perfect. They would have been a great group of people full of the Holy Ghost. Yes. Holy Ghost, we love that. So we know about Acts 2, they got filled with the Spirit of God and, and, uh, and the presence of God was on. Look what it tells us in Acts chapter 8 verse 1. At that time there was a great persecution against the church. Why did God bless the church in one minute and then now allows the persecution to come against it? You think, did God permit that? Did God allow that to come? Why did that happen? Well, if you just read the scripture, you'll find it very, very clear. When Jesus left, he gave instructions. Here's the instruction he gave. You shall receive power when the Holy Ghost comes on you. Power, Holy Ghost. Have we got that? Okay, here's the purpose. Number two, you shall become witnesses unto me. Not to Bay City, not to the church. You'll be a personal witness of a Savior who changes lives. That word witness means a martyr, someone who's willing to live a life on the edge. Three, and you'll do it not only here in Jerusalem, but in Judea, Samaria, and the utmost parts of the world. In other words, God had always got the world in mind. So what did the church do? Well, they had glorious meetings in Jerusalem. They had a heap of fun. Holy Ghost came. People got drunk. They laughed. They had great messages. There were miracles. It was glorious. And in the middle of it, they forgot totally what Jesus said to them. I don't want you just to have a great time in your church. I want you to go out to the world. Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. Because I got people down in New Zealand need to have someone come to them with the word of God. And you're just sitting there in the church in Jerusalem having great glory times. And so, after a few years had gone by and they're not even showing any signs of moving, God thought, I have an idea. I know what I'll do. I'll just move my hand a blessing. I'll just withdraw a little, let the devil beat him up a bit. And so a great persecution arose against the church. But if you read on in those verses, you'll see a little bit later, that guess what they did? They were scattered, and they went to Judea and Samaria, and the whole of Samaria heard the word of God, and then the persecution stopped. Acts chapter 19, the whole of Asia heard the word of God. And there, and, and there was a, there was a great, great period of revival in Asia. It's always been the heart of God to take his word to the world from the beginning and when the church does not cooperate with God's plan because it's his church he reserves the right to do whatever he likes with it we can have our plans we can have all kinds of things organized at the end of the day it all depends on the Lord see? 
So I love this about him. I love it. It's wonderful. But you see, it's not all bad news because there's people who did discern the times. See? And here's in, in Acts chapter 13, verse 22, it says that David, David was a man after the heart of God. He said, God, I want something that you want to speak to me and something you want to do in the day I live. And God said, I got a whole lot of changes I want to bring about. I want to bring about a total reformation of the way church is done. I want to bring a total reformation about the way people meet together and worship me. I want to bring a total reformation. He says, you know how it's all been silent? I want there to be a lot of music and a lot of noise. You know how they come and and only one person go there? I want everyone to go there and I want them all to sing. He said, I want you to radically change worship and I want you to change the nation so it becomes a leading nation in the world. The Bible says David served his generation by the will of God. See, how did he serve God? How did he serve his generation? He heard what God was doing in his day and did it. But we're living today. So what's God saying today? We serve our generation when we hear what God's saying today and do today. We don't do what we did yesterday. We don't do what they did a decade ago. We don't do what they did last year. We don't even do what the New Testament church said. We did what God wants us to do here in New Zealand, in Hawke's Bay, in Bay City today. Otherwise, we'll find ourselves fighting against God. And when you find yourself fighting against God, you have all kinds of problems you cannot work out, and you pray as hard as you can, go to church, try to be good, and you still seem to get nowhere. So you get angry at God. So here's another one. Here's another group of people. There's a man of Issachar in 1 Chronicles 12:32. Bible says this of these people. It says the men of Issachar were wiser than everyone else. They were smarter. How were they smarter? Have they been university? No, 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 no. Nothing like that. It probably would have ruined them. No, it says they discerned the times, the seasons, what God was doing, and what they ought to do. They understood what they should do or how they should respond. So the men of Issachar stood out in their generation because they saw that there was a change taking place and they got behind what God was doing. They positioned themselves to be right where God was working. They consciously positioned themselves. What was God doing? God was getting rid of Saul's regime. He's building another whole new regime, changing everything. And they positioned themselves. See? So your attitude's going to determine your response. The way you think about God and think about seasons is going to determine what you do. Think about this. I want you to look in Ezekiel chapter 2. Ezekiel chapter 2. Ezekiel 2. And I want you to see a word that God speaks to Ezekiel. Very similar word to us. And then we'll just talk a little bit about discerning. So I won't take long. Just if you just give me a few more minutes on this. Ezekiel chapter 2. And he says, verse 8. He says, he said, uh, son of man, don't be like the rebellious people here. Don't be rebellious. Don't do your own thing. Don't go your own way. Ask me to bless it. Don't be rebellious. He's talking to a prophet. Don't be rebellious. Okay? He says, this is what I want you to do. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. And when I looked, the hand that was uh, sent to me, and lo, there was a roll of a book therein. And he spread it out in front of me, and it was written within and without, and there was all these kind of things in it. And then he said to me, son of man, eat what you find. Eat the roll and then go speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth, and he caused me to eat that roll. So he sings something in the spirit. And he said to me, son of man, uh, cause your belly to eat and fill up the insides with the roll I give you. And then I ate it. It was in my mouth like sweetness. See, now what happens is this. Because if you've got a new version, you'll you'll probably find they've changed the word roll and put something else there. Changed the meaning altogether. Listen, what we want is a blueprint. Blueprint means you've got the plan. Ten-year plan for the church. How wonderful. I only wish I could come up with it. 
Say, you know why we want such a plan? Not only for the church, but for every part of our life? Because we want to have it all under our control and be all organized. We want to see one end or the other. We want to avoid and minimize all risk. We don't take any chances. The one thing God wants us to do is to learn how to walk with him. Now listen, he didn't give him a book and he didn't give him a manuscript. What he gave him was a roll or a scroll. Now, a scroll was an ancient way they had a book, you see. We got a book now and you just open up the book page after page. You see, you open any page you like. But in a scroll, you've got to unroll it to see what's there. And you can't get to the next bit of the scroll until you've got to the first bit. So with a scroll, it unfolds. And the thing about God's scrolls, if you don't read and respond to the first bit, it doesn't unroll any further. So I wonder how far you are into the scroll God wrote for your life. Some just got started. Save. <laughs> Come on. God's got a lot more for you. God's got a lot more for you. See, so, with, with, so you know, he gave him a scroll. And notice what he said. Take it and eat it. Get it inside you. In other words, so he tells him, first of all, don't be rebellious. In other words, don't resist. He said, open your mouth and eat. In other words, hunger to receive what God wants to say in your day. Hunger for what God is saying now. Because he's telling the church to change. Church, of course, carrying on doing all the same things, including us. It's hard to change. We need God to help us, to give us grace to change. Hard to change, but we can do it. Open your mouth and eat means hunger to receive what God's saying. Take it in. Then it says go and speak. You've got to act. You've got to do something with what you've got. So what happens is, is as we respond to what God gives us, he unrolls more. So in your personal life, as you respond to what God shows you, he will give you a little more. And if you don't respond to what he shows you, the roll starts to backwind. Isn't that interesting? I can show you that from Scripture. The Bible says, it talks about in Mark chapter 4, it talks about, it says, he says, take heed how you respond to the Word of God, because the way you respond is the way it will be given to you. It says, to those who, who give out or those who respond to the Word of God, more is given, and those who don't respond, even what they think they have, they lose. So how many of you did God tell you something a year, two years, three years, five years ago, and you're not doing it, and now it looks like it'll probably never happen. It's almost like the roll went backwards on you. God's got to tell you the same thing he told you before. In other words, he's got to bring you back to where you were a year ago, two years ago, six months ago, five years ago. What did he tell you to do then? Here's what he says to do. Don't be rebellious. Don't resist God's plan for your life. Don't resist church. Don't resist what I want to do. Just hunger to receive what I'm saying and then begin to act on it. And as you act on it, it unfolds. Now, what I found in moving in the spirit, like, for example, when I was in a meeting over in, in Asia, the, the, the interpreter began to panic on me. Now, all he's got to do is just say what I'm telling him to say. It's not hard. What could be hard about that? But he's having a panicky fit in the meeting. What's happening? Where are you going? What are you going to do next? I said, I don't know. And he hated that. He wanted to know what I was going to do next. I said, I'm just listening to God and it'll unfold. But I said, I'll tell you what. At the end of the meeting, that guy in the wheelchair will come out of the wheelchair and get healed. But I don't know what will happen between now and then. So we've just got to wait on God and just follow what he's saying. And he didn't want that. He wanted a plan. He wanted a blueprint. I've learned God just doesn't give us all a blueprint. He just gives you a step and say, take it. Oh, wow. There's like there's some more. <laughs> the roll is unrolling. Oh, more. It's called the walk of faith that pleases God. 
We want to have our act together. We want to have all the answers. We want to know, no, 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 no. You don't have to. You've got to take some risks. If you secure your life against all risks, you cannot be a man of faith, can't walk with God. You actually are protecting yourself from engaging God and the world, which is a very risky place. God wants us to be the kind of people that love to listen to him, respond to him, and take some steps of faith. I don't know what's going to happen. Go to some place, I've got no idea what's quite going to happen. But I know God wants to come and manifest through me, and I'm an answer to some of the problems there. Just like you're an answer to some people's problems. You've just got to get out there and meet them. You've got more than you realize. Take any of you just about put you in a foreign field, and you could help someone. You've all got something to help. So, discerning the seasons. So, there's all kinds of seasons. So, there's global seasons, what God's doing in the world. There's church seasons, what God's doing with his church. Of course, if you were in the 1500s, what God would have been saying was, get away with all the indulgences and all of the rip-offs of the priests over the laity, and you'd, you'd be speaking, you'd be following Martin Luther and risking your life. Or you'd be staying with the Catholic Church. See, it's always got change. It's always got So there's global seasons. Now, there's some distinct global seasons. Now, I want to, this is where I'm going to get right now, and I'll just finish with this. There are distinct global seasons. If you have a look in Genesis 11, the Bible talks about the Tower of Babel. In the Tower of Babel, the whole earth was all one language, all united, all together. All the known world was together. But they, instead of uniting to fulfill God's purpose, they fought against him, wrestled against him, so he just scattered them. And that's when the nations began to form. The next one of the glicks, global age, and there's a whole lot of it. I'm just going to shorten it and get it down to a couple of significant ones. One of the glick, next major global shifts was in the days of Jesus. Because in the days of Jesus, Greek was spoken in all the known world. The Romans had risen up and the technology was they had roads went all over the known world. They had waterways went over the known world. In fact, the technology and the language was all ready for the gospel to go to the world. And so what does God do? There's a global season and he comes and visits so the gospel can go out to every known part of the world. Now, of course, we could talk about what's happened in history, but let's get where we're at now. How many know there's a global revolution taking place? How many know, you heard the word globalization? Got a lot of meanings to it, but globalization means the world has shrunk, and now we can connect anywhere in the world. Listen to what's happened. See, a few years ago, radio took about 47 years to reach 50 million people. Now the Internet took four years to reach the same number of people. There's been an acceleration of technology that's now made it possible to go anywhere in the world, to be heard anywhere in the world, and for people anywhere in the world to tap into you. There's never been a time in history like that before. It's now possible to fly anywhere in the world. You can get on a plane. Within a few hours, you're in another part of the world. Or another part of the world is with us. And so what's happening is cultures from other parts of the world are coming into Western nations. Muslims are filling up uh, England. The whole of the nation is beginning to change. Our nation and all its wisdom with its open door for immigration has now got all kinds of cultural groups coming in. And with it, their belief systems, their religions, all of this stuff, which will actually alter the way our whole society goes, we are in global change. Because we're in New Zealand, so we say, oh, well, we're here. It'll be, it won't happen here. Of course it will. Of course it will. You can't ignore what's going on in the world. The world is in change. And so boundaries have become far more open. Borders have become open. So basically the whole situation, again, technology allows people to communicate in a way never possible before. And transport allows people to move around in a way never possible before. And you know what message God is giving the church? Would you believe it? Global missions. Global missions. 
You won't go anywhere in the world that God isn't speaking about his kingdom advancing everywhere, into the community, into finance, into education, into business, into uh, in the political arena, into the health arena. The church is now being called to come out of its hiding place and begin to advance the kingdom of God in every part, not only here, but also right around the world. That's why we're involved over there. I'm not going to Uganda because there's some poor people over there. I've been watching TV for years. There's heaps of poor people around. God does not go to poor people. He goes where people are passionately pursuing him and want something to happen in the earth because they're going to be part of the answer to the problem. He does not go just where there's need. He goes where there's a passion to pursue him. And where there's a passion to pursue him, he begins to give you a scroll, instructions, what to do, how to grow, where to go, how to do what you're going to do. He begins to unfold his plan, not to the needy, but to the passionately purposeful seeking him. And what he tells them is, this is where the needs are. I want to send you to go there. I am not going to Uganda because there's a need there. I don't have to go that far. We go because this is the season that history is in when God is saying to the church, go everywhere. But I'm going to show you specifically where you'll go and I'll provide linkages and connections and relationships and you'll partner with people and they'll partner with you. Listen, the third world isn't that poor after all. Some of the churches they got there are stronger than any church in New Zealand. They can come and be a missionary to us. See, so God is preparing the church for change. So you'll hear this kind of thing coming. Over and over and over, wherever you are, you'll hear about the kingdom of God advancing, the church called to embrace mission and go out into the community everywhere. God is unlocking the church. Well, of course, that disturbs our comfort. So either we fight God on this one, and then we find we're, we're behind, we've missed the whole season we're in, or we say, God, I want to do my part because I discern the season we're in. So what we're doing in our missions presentation is present, this is the season in history. It's a season in the church. This is a season where we are, we need to respond. Not respond to a need, but respond to God. Respond and make ourselves available. Let me give you some, just some simple things we do. Number one, you position yourself to hear from God. You've got to hear from God. Eat the roll. Two, you've got to be <clears throat> recognize what God's saying and don't got to recognize him. God can speak to you. He can tell you what he's doing. Tell you what he's doing in your marriage, your personal life. He can tell you what he's doing. And don't fight the season. Don't look for God to do a miracle fix when he wants you to grow through the crisis. Be part of the answer and to grow in the middle of it. Third thing, we need to yield. Some things we've got to let go. What do you let go? Things that are dead. Let them go. That's why we change in the church. If things aren't working or they're dead, ah, cut them off. I can't be bothered with it. Why? Why keep it going? So you'll feel good? I don't think so. I won't have any part to do with anything that's dead. Either we bring it to life or we'll get rid of it. You bury something that's dead or you raise it to life. So if there's something that's, if your group is dead, bury it. Quit while you're ahead. For you get buried with it. You understand? It's like, you ever think like God thinks about things. So he says, in John chapter 15, he said, the, the father's a gardener. He comes into the vine. If it's dead, he trips it off. And even if it's growing, he prunes it back. So, so, so we've got to learn to do that in our life. If something's dead, not producing life, try and make a change. Let it go. Come on, move on. Don't preserve it because well, we've always done that. To 
We carry the dead body around. It smells after a while. But we don't want to do that. You've got to not be like that. We want to be moving with God. We're moving with God. He says sometimes he cuts off relationships because they're dead. Or because they're dying and they're, and they're on the way to death. Sometimes he cuts off our associations with certain things. Sometimes we've been involved in something and he says it's time for it to finish. He says, but it's good. This was good. Look at all the good we've done. He says, yeah, but at time's over. Seasons change. I want to do something different. That'll be better. He prunes so things will be better and more fruitful. And we've got to be willing to do the same. Eh? Eh? So we respond to what God's doing. Father, we just thank you right now that you're calling each of us to position ourselves to hear your voice, to recognize what you're saying to us individually and corporately. Say, we know you're saying this. Lord, open our ears to hear us. We want to hear more. And Lord, we want to yield. We want to yield to what you want to do. Lord, I yield. We yield this church to you. That will become what you want us to become. Help us to embrace change, not to fight it. Help us to welcome change as an opportunity to grow in faith. Help us, Lord, to lean deeper into you and be willing to go out of safe zone into where there's a bit of risk and a bit of challenge and we might see the miracles of God. Lord, expand our capacity to embrace the world you've planted us in to make a difference in it.